Hi, I'm Jackie Collins, and you're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shawquin, and you're going to have a good time. I went to a marvelous party. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. From the Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California, it's The Dinner Party Show, the Internet's first live comedy variety show, with your hosts, New York Times best-selling authors, Christopher Rice. No, there's actually a new study that confirms every other child you see on the street is a ghost. <laughs> and Eric Shaw Quinn. I don't want to talk too much, but... Okay, no, no, no. We're going to take up a collection for the stained glass window. Now we want the dirt. Featuring reports from their largely unqualified staff of special correspondents. Sex is like Christmas. It's the not knowing what you're going to get that makes it exciting. New York is a giant trash island infested by has-been theater queens. If we're really serious about cutting federal spending, the biggest waste of public funds I can think of is Congress. Two snaps for Jesus! The Dinner Party Show. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you live and for free through the dinnerpartyshow.com and our free mobile app. And now, direct from the kitchen by way of the Get out of my office. It's your hosts, Christopher and Eric. Good evening, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to The Dinner Party Show's live cast for Sunday, March 22nd, 2015. And tonight, we have no intention <laughs> of talking about Monica Lewinsky or her I Fucked Bill Clinton speaking tour, where she is apparently trying to reposition herself as an innocent victim of bullying as she capitalizes once again on the Clinton name now that Hillary is most probably running for president. President, honestly, even more than the official presidential cocksucker, <laughs> we blame lazy reporters, unqualified news directors, and greedy, soulless media outlet management for this kind of think-inside-the-box reporting of non-news events and the unstinting coverage of people who have done absolutely nothing to contribute to the world other than stink the place up. <laughs> Shame on you, news media, for continuing to cover this kind of old ho, ho-hum story instead of the actual news and issues of the day and the upcoming election. You cannot truly complain of an uninformed electorate if you're the lazy jerks in charge of doing the informing and you devolve into a bunch of vicious, hissing old gossips wagging their fingers and whispering behind their hands rather than actually doing your jobs and reporting the news. Watergate was a news story because it involved actual news and real reporting. Get to work 
all of you, or get a job covering reality television and let some real reporters have a shot. As for you, Miss Lewinsky, all we can say is, if this isn't just Chapter 37 in the self-serving scheme that you've been dining out on for more than 20 years now, and you're just an innocent victim, why didn't you send that fucking dress to the dry cleaners? <laughs> And I get an amen. You set that man up, and you are the bully here, now, just as you were then. You did this, and despite what it says on the cover of the New York Times this morning, this whole stinking mess has always been on your terms. If you truly want it to go away, may we recommend that you do just what you should have done in the first place. Shut your mouth. Mm -hmm. Let's be clear, we've got no problem with what you did. That's a private matter between you and Hillary. It's what you've done since that counts, and so far, it doesn't seem to count for much. Testify, and in non-cocksucking news tonight, in light of the <laughs> fact that LA's ongoing quest for another NFL team is developing more twists and turns than the season finale of Empire, uh -uh. we will not be discussing it. <laughs> until the multi-millionaires involved have figured this shit out. All right, then. In the wake of recent news that the Schutz Entertainment Group is oh, scuttling plans for a football stadium in downtown L.A. after spending $50 million in planning expenses alone. Yikes. We've decided to stop pretending to care about football in general just because it might produce a huge, flashy new building somewhere in the city the dinner party show calls home. Eh. And in truth, West Hollywood is really the city the dinner party show calls home, not Los Angeles. For reals. And in some more truth, we just don't give a shit about football. We really don't. I've tried to be against hype in this area. I really mm. have. No, I have. But I only watch the Super Bowl all the way through if I'm dating somebody who wants to. Naturally. And Eric does his level best to watch Super Bowl commercials every year. And that's it. But we still just don't care about football enough to follow this unfolding Southern California drama. Unless they have the Oscars in whatever stadium they build, Ooh. in which case we'll be sure to say the stadium is inadequate and needs to be immediately improved. Absolutely. We are speechless over the op-ed written by Bible Belt bigot spokesjerks, both sadly members of the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives, who compared the right to refuse service to the right to choose what cut of meat you serve. Jesus. This is the sort of ignorant bombast that makes us long for admission and educational standards for the House and Senate. Meanwhile, the growing movement in the states, we're looking at you, Texas, is to legislate bigotry by restoring the right to refuse service to people we irrationally hate. I wonder if they've considered that the law could just as easily be applied to those who are working to pass it. Mm -hmm. I mean, what if someone wants to refuse service to bigoted assholes? For our part, all we can say is hashtag... Bigot Free Zone has a really nice ring to it. It sure does. Also not being discussed on tonight's show. The fact that Taylor Swift is being hailed as one step ahead of the porn industry what? by snatching up the domain names taylorswift.adult and taylorswift.porn. <laughs> Good idea. This move comes just weeks before domain names with .porn, .adult, and .sucks become available to the general public. Good move, Taylor. As we all know, nothing gives porn fans wood faster than the thought of a woman with a lot of integrity who makes boyfriends wait until marriage to sleep with her and has a long history of telling the entire world how bad her breakups were. <laughs> I can't think of a better basis for a porn website. Total turn on. Maybe lawn bowling nuns. I don't know. At any rate, we won't be talking about those either. As for everything else, it's still on the table on tonight's live cast of The Dinner Party Show. Dot porn.
You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Enjoy the hors d'oeuvres, but don't fill up. There's plenty more to come. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Mr. Potato Head. You were Mr. <laughs> Potato Head. We had a very big dinner last night. We went to a certain steakhouse that shall remain nameless, and we ate like Republicans oh, and landowners. Did We ate like, I, I ate just like the... Fat ass Democrat, I actually am. <laughs> Don't you be tarring me with that brush. Um, and we couldn't get out of bed this morning in our respect. We are not a couple. We don't sleep in the same bed. Even if we were a couple, we wouldn't sleep in the same bed. <laughs> Certainly Eric not totally after a meal like that. Fucking snores. <laughs> Christopher I shared snores a room too. with him, but, uh, but I do not. Do I? Do I do? Christopher totally snores. Who said I snore? I, I did. You know I snore because I fall asleep on your sofa while we're watching That's TV right. all the time. We're watching anything. Anything. Sometimes that... falls falls asleep. While we're doing the show. Being still is hard, okay? Being still is hard. It I'm really like is a, a robot. Challenge. So, um, like we a have shark. both had trouble waking up this morning. <laughs> it was if you follow us on social media, it was like 11 a.m. Pacific oh before our dinner party show God. post started before rolling. I got out. up and ran into the wall. I'm just completely like it's fine. I'm not, but I am totally like I'm food hungover. I have a food hangover from all of that fabulous. It was rich really food. good. We yeah. ate at the Capitol Grill. Well, we can say that much. They are not a sponsor of the show. We don't have any sponsors on the show. But we would yet. like some. But so Capital Grill, if you'd like to sponsor our show, we'd love that. But yeah, oh my God, it was such delicious. So food. I roll out of bed at 10:30 a.m. local time. I walk down to the kitchen and I already have an apology text message from Eric Shaw Quinn on my phone. I just rolled out of bed at 10:30 a.m. <laughs> local time. He didn't say the part about local time. So I've actually felt better. But we're here and MJ Rose is on the show and later. I think we should take a moment to pause to thank the author of our feast, literally, Anne Rice, who, that was our birthday gift. That was our birthday the gift. The Lady Anne gave us that. She, so thank you very much for a delicious you, dinner. Thank you for the medieval feast with better hygiene. And then our next fabulous author is MJ, MJ Rose, Rose who is here, here to, to discuss her new book, The Witch of Painted Sorrows, which is the start of an all-new series universe for her. So, so fantastic. We're going to ask her a bunch of questions about that. The book is for sale at thedinnerpartyshow.com, and this is a reminder that if you buy anything through thedinnerpartyshow.com, if you click on those links... This is our currently our sole means of supporting the show financially. Right. In fact, everything you buy on that shopping trip after you've clicked the link, yeah. all we get a small percentage, but every little bit helps. Absolutely, but every when little there's bit no helps. other income coming in, that's, Eric is so it will expensive. take all we can get. I really Eric, am. that trailer alone. The keeping insurance that trailer... on Eric's mouth is through the roof, <laughs> through the roof. Okay, so last week was our birthday, and right? um, we our had birthday a birthday observation. Our birthday month kickoff. Our birthday month continues. So. We asked people to call our party line and leave certain birthday wishes, and we gave away a prize pack to the winner. We forgot to announce the winner. Or the... give away the prize pack or anything else because we were so jumped up on uh, donuts and birthday cake. Yes, absolutely. The The winner, I believe this was the winner, the winner was Aaron with this little doozy. Happy birthday, guys. I'm Aaron. This day probably marks the first and last time that either of you were ever fully 100% comfortable being in a vagina. Thank you. 
with your kids after the vagina joke. Right. Uh, a new we meaning to birth network, trauma. We would just be kicked off. So that was our winner because Erin was funny and inappropriate, which is what we were asking for, and she followed the rules. We had another set of birthday wishes, which took just a little bit of editing. We had to sort of well, it came in late, long. and quite honestly, the person who called did not leave their name, so they weren't qualified to be in the competition. Yeah, but still, we thought it merited uh, listen to. But yeah, we had to do just, just a, a just little, a little editing to just sort of make it fit in the allotted time. Let's see what they said. Oh, thank God, it's just an answering machine because I'm always afraid that when I call, that I would actually have to engage with actual conversation, and then I would. Just a little bit there. However, my birthday wish for you guys, uh, I actually was at a um, bridal shower. Oh, there we go. A little more. A little more. A little more editing. Yeah. Prove that he's a jerk or that he's gay if he gets all 12. But I thought, how about 12 birthday wishes for you and Eric? Now, some of these wishes uh, might apply just to Christopher's. Okay. A little more, a little, little, it got a little discursive, is the literary type. So, um, very qu- heavily your qualified wishes. wishes. Happy birthday. Um, number one, may your kidneys always be viable. Well, that's, that's good. Two, good thing. may you one day be able to tell the difference between smegma and brie cheese. Oh, oh okay. Three, okay. if you ever have to chew off your arm to escape your date in the morning, may it grow back in a timely fashion. Well, that's thoughtful. Okay. Four, that, may your inability to wear clothes in a photo eventually stop before you get saggy. That was for you, Eric. Five, oh, if you ever yeah. do huh? drag in public, may Mattel create a doll in your honor. An expensive doll, like more than the cost of one of your books in hardcover. Six, may all embarrassing bodily expulsions be blamed on the person sitting next to you. Unless it is your mother, because that is just not done. Seven, (laughs) may (laughs) the painting of you being born be inspiration for Smurf wet dreams. Uh, Which would... Definitely be Christopher. You have a painting of you naked in blue. What's that all about? I was okay. Being born. Hey, what did you look like? Uh, may the phrase Were you, blue? you may yeah. notice a little Maybe bit of pus as I had my genital warts burned off last week. Oh, no. Never be uttered in the middle of rimming something. Oh. Nine. May you never lose your watch while fisting the living daylights out of someone. Or hear the phrase right? "Give it to me harder, mommy." <laughs> Ten. May no one ever recognize you in a police lineup, even if you did do it. Eleven, may there one day be a cure for that thing that you have that we just don't talk about. Seriously, we just don't talk about it. And twelve, well, I actually forgot what the last wish was because I was distracted by the kid who played Percy Jackson. He was buzzing up next to me in the shower. At no the fair. Anyways, yeah, have a life. happy birthday. Goodbye. Well... I, I maybe that could have used a little bit more editing. I think we have some left our party people with some imagery they're not going to be able to get out of their heads for the next week. Are we going to start bleeping things? I think we're I not really, us. It was really only edited for time and modified to fit on your screen. Yeah, we are, but it is important that we tell our party people when you call our party line, identify yourselves so that we can take six to seven months to send you your prize, which is what we usually do. We're going to try to tighten that up. Anna, if you're out there, excuse me, Aaron, if you're out there and you're listening, you were our winner last week. We forgot to announce that you had won because, I don't know, we were talking about our feet or something fascinating. Because I had icing in my ears. We were eating so much fucking birthday cake that we couldn't get through it. Anyway, so that is... um. That is the the tail end of our birthday extravaganza. Although Eric likes to call it a birthday month, it's birthday so. month. So we're just in week one. We're yeah. at the conclusion of week one. I may have to take a little mid birthday month break. 
to digest. Just to kind of, yeah, get, catch up on my sleep and my, get my <laughs> blood sugar stabilized. But other than that. I had no trouble sleeping, but I had had about four gallons of Diet Coke. Up. So I didn't, it was waking up. Yeah. The alarm went off at the crack of 1030 and I rolled out of bed all, you know. Now, should we talk about the fact that I've been having low back pain, or is that maybe something that's not really going to spark the show? I'm going back to show? element 11 of the wish, of the, yeah. of the 12 wishes. Never talking about what's really never, wrong with you. The, the thing that you, that's wrong well, with you, you know, that the, you never, the, the, ever the talk family about. Of my, or, my family of origin, which is actually the family I prefer. I didn't make a new fucking family. I didn't have to. I'm, I'm blessed. We never had exactly what we had. It was always like if you had low back pain, the kidneys weren't viable, which goes back to, I think, Maybe wish one. Maybe it's a one, gypsy curse. Or it's a gypsy curse. That's or, what I'm going for. Or flesh-eating staff, because everybody just says flesh-eating staff. Now, Maybe it's flesh-eating staff. You know, Maybe you've slipped I a I think disc. it's a gypsy curse. So Creative people make horrible hospital patients. Horrible. <laughs> We've read everything. We've researched everything. Absolutely. I'm not allowed to go on and look at symptoms, or else Eric Shaw Quinn won't feed me cake. Or listen to him go on about how his symptoms match whatever it is he imagined is, he has this week. But apparently that's a problem with medical students. When they first start studying the diagnostic manual of everything, they start to literally believe they have everything. Because everything fucking begins with flu-like symptoms, right? Our friend Dan, whenever Christopher broaches the topic with him, he's a medical professional, Christopher will bring up some. And Christopher, Dan will say before, Christopher, you want to do it? Uh, Dan, I have this little It's cancer. Oh. <laughs> That's how Dan handles it. He doesn't wait for there to be any sort of ex- ex- discursive description of anything. It's like, no. it's cancer. No. I, you got I, cancer. I have long memories of the expressions on my doctor's faces as I go in diagnosing myself. And finally, one doctor said to me, you really shouldn't, you just can't diagnose yourself. Like, that's why we have doctors, because you have no perspective. Nobody has any real perspective on their physical self. Like, you should never be. Doctors don't diagnose themselves. They have other doctors. One uh, medical uh, test uh, professional recommended that maybe Christopher could go get ice cream instead, instead of, of having tested. that test again. Yeah, you know what? Still crazy <laughs> after all these years. And I keep Whoa, good fucking company, Eric Shockwin. after keep... all Speaking these of years. crazy, Jordan Ampersand is back this week with another episode of What Science? Oh, great. I think it's good that Jordan is trying to be informative. I think it's good. He's trying to better <laughs> I think it sounds really dangerous. Okay, all right. Well, let's see. And then we will be back with dinner party show favorite, oh. MJ Rose. Can't wait. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, where the soup is hot, but the heads are hotter. And now it's time for another edition of What's Science? With Jordan Ampersand. Today's topic... California's water crisis. Oh, dear. I'm Jordan Ampersand, critic at large for the Dinner Party Show, and this is What Science, where I break down big science stories that science people try to make sound all complicated just so waiters with blogs will stop telling them what to do. This week, a NASA scientist told everyone in California that we only have one year of water left. 
This evening, I'm joined by that same actual science person. Welcome to the dinner party show, NASA scientist. Uh, thank you. It's, it's good to be here. I, I actually have a name. Before it's we get into all that noise, first, tell me, NASA scientist, remind me, please, what NASA does again. Wow, really? Yeah, okay. Uh, well, NASA stands for National Aeronautics and Space Administration, and we basically oversee the civilian space program as well as general. I don't need your whole resume. Um, well, you asked me what NASA did, so I, I the just point naturally... I'm is- trying to make is that you are all about space. And not like storage space, but like outer space. Oh, that's one way of putting it, yes. Okay, so my question for you, sir, is where does someone who lives in outer space get off lecturing us about water that's here on the ground in California? Well, uh, I'm not sure I'd call it a lecture. What we did was we took a picture with our satellites, and it revealed that... A picture taken by a satellite that's in outer space. Is that correct, sir? Yes, that's where all satellites are. Sir, with all due respects, we have too many real problems right now in California to be freaked out by space people pictures of way far away water they probably can't even see. The Cardassians did not do press for the premiere of their new season. The service animals in my Pump Your Own Froyo place are getting fatter and smellier because they're eating the yogurt that drips on the ground. And all of my calls to the city of West Hollywood about this matter have not been returned. Do you understand where I'm coming from? No, uh, no I don't. Well, what do you understand, space person? You're running out of water. I know! Every fucking day since I moved to Los Angeles, people have been telling us we're running out of water. And you know what? I don't know what to fucking do about it. So why are you telling me? I don't know how to make water. None of my friends make water. We don't work for water, people. We can't make any calls about this, okay? So how about the next time you take a super fucking scary space picture of our super fucking almost empty fucking reservoirs, you send it to the fucking governor of California who's supposed to do something about it, and you don't CC the rest of us because you're just freaking us the fuck out because there's nothing we can do about the fact that there's no water. Do you understand now, space person? Uh, I think so, yeah. Now, sir, would you like to tell us your name? No, uh, I think I'm going to go now. Bye, space person. Well, as always here on What Science, we like to close each installment with a famous science quote from a famous science person. Tonight's quote comes to us from Isaac Newton, who discovered gravity and was fond of saying, How do you like them apples? See? Some parts of science are fun. Think getting older means staying active and keeping young at heart? You don't know carp. Look here, young man. If I had wanted my newspaper in a puddle at the curb, I'd have pissed on it myself. From now on, leave it on the porch or find yourself a new after-school gig. Have you come to believe that getting older doesn't have to mean leaving the workforce? You don't know carp. Of course there are plenty of jobs for people over 50. You don't think all those Walmart shoppers are going to greet themselves, do you? Did you really think that you could quit working and keep that same standard of living? 
you don't owe GARP. Social Security will pay us about half of what we were earning monthly, so we should be fine if we don't have any unexpected expenses, catastrophic medical events, buy any groceries, or get any older. Do you honestly think that discounted services will be the same as paying full price? You don't know carp. Um, we saved a bundle on the trip to Acapulco, but we got treated like bundles and tied to the luggage rack on the bus. That's where we got our tans, which was great since our rooms were in the basement and our seniors' rate didn't include pool or beach privileges. Does it seem plausible that a website, a magazine, and a plastic membership card can actually protect you from rampant consumer fraud? You don't know carp. He said he was a Nigerian prince and that he'd split the $22.3 million if we let him deposit it in our account so he could escape from Boko Haram. Well, if you can't trust royalty, who can you trust? So naturally, we gave him our account information and social security numbers, mailed him the keys to our house, our ATM cards, and our pins. We can only assume that the terrorist got poor Prince Scamarty. But we would have been fine if investment bankers hadn't crashed the economy while expecting us to bail them out, and the Republican administration in our state hadn't destroyed local health care by opting out of Medicaid expansion. Anyway, I hope the prince is okay. Did you actually believe that the politician who gave out free potholders at the community center at your retirement condos was really going to do those things he said he'd do to protect you? You don't know carp. Lying politicians? Who saw that coming? Do you really ask your doctor about the medications you saw advertised on the news that have more side effects than nuclear winter? You don't know carp. When my legs get restless, I get up off my fat ass and go for a fucking walk. Are you the kind of person who needs an advocate to act on your behalf? You don't know carp. Thank God I'm retired or I'd never have enough time to wait on the next operator to take my call on the retirement helpline. If you think that getting older is no place for sissies, you should join the Curmudgeons Association of Retired Persons, CARP. You can pour that coffee directly on my vagina, young man. I could use the extra money and it would be the most action I've had down there since the Clinton administration. (laughs) With no dues and no bullshit emails about 10 surgeries to avoid. Like I'll live long enough to have 10 surgeries. Or the benefits of walking. Because it's the chauffeur's year off. Sounds like you know carp. Get off my lawn. So... If your plan for getting older is complaining about it every step of the way, then you should get to know CARP. We were told you would be serving lunch, not testing our immune systems. The Curmudgeons Association of Retired Persons. CARP. Because if you're bitching to each other, the rest of us can avoid all of you at the same time. Kind of like the Fox News Channel, but younger. Get to know CARP. We'll be glad you did. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Let's dish. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And for The Dish this evening, we are joined by Dinner Party Show favorite, critically acclaimed author, author marketing expert, and I should add, one of the co-creators of A Thousand and One Dark Nights, MJ Rose. Welcome to the Dinner Party Welcome Show. Welcome back. Oh, thank you for having me again. It's so much fun. And congratulations on the new book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's called The Witch of Painted Sorrows. It came out this week. It is the first in a 
trilogy, but we want to start by asking you, and and obviously you don't want to spoil After you point anything. out that it's available on the Dinner Party Show Absolutely. website. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Eric Shaw Quinn. <laughs> Who is the Witch of Painted Sorrows? Well, in real life, the witch is my great-grandmother, oh. who I actually st- came up with this idea for wow. this book and thought I had some vague memories that my great-grandmother, who I didn't know that well, but I remember this old, old wrinkly lady living in Far Rockaway, that, that she was uh, like she did fortune-telling. I had this vague uh-huh. recollection of this. And so I called my cousin, who's older than me, and asked her a whole lot of questions about Grandma Berger, which was what we called her, and discovered that she was a witch. She was born in Paris in 1880, and she came to America when she was about 14 years old. Wow. Yeah, and she had an arranged marriage, and she had eight children, and she made pocket money, she called it, which she then (laughs) turned around and bought real estate with. But she bought, she made pocket money by reading her crystal ball and telling cards and my cousin has the cards. It turns out this little lamp that I thought was a lamp is actually the crystal ball. Wow. And she was she called herself a witch. And I had already started working on this book and come up with this idea and had no idea that my heritage actually included a witch. That is so cool. You must have been blown away when you were when oh, you first found out. Oh, all goosebumpy. All goosebumpy. And I found out some very strange stories about her. One that then my cousin told me one story that I then remembered, which was so interesting because you know how you forget stuff that happens to you when you're in college? Well, you guys are too close to college, so you probably remember <laughs> Everything oh, that's so dear. In that it's only five miles from here to UCLA. We're close to college. But that's, that, that's, that's about why. it. I, I was um, in college and my mom called me one day and she said, uh, Grandma Berger called and she wants you to stay out of the house today, that, that there's going to be a fire. And I was like, you know, 18 years old and thought this is the most ridiculous thing in the world to the point that I didn't ever remember this. But Um, I didn't pay any attention to it. And I went to school and I did all my normal things. And that night, my boyfriend at the time called me to tell me that his apartment had burned down and my paintings, I was a painting major, my paintings were in it and they burned. Oh, wow. Wow. So she saw a fire, just not the right one. Yeah, she saw me burning, but it was my paintings burning, not I me. See. Oh, thank wow. God. So it was that's not you. actually in my head, my paintings burning kind of became the witch of painted sorrows. So how how are we defining a witch in terms of this novel as well as your grandmother? Are we is it psychic or is it a mystic or how you know I we think of pointy hats and all that sort of stuff. Well, causing the fire versus predicting it. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that's an interesting take. I wonder if she was that kind of witch. So the kind of witch my grandmother was, great-grandmother was is not the kind of witch I wrote about. Okay. So in my, in my mind, my grandmother, great-grandmother, was um, a psychic who okay. had extraordinary ability to um, see the future. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. my cousin says had some ability to um, make people feel more positively and see things that were positive and be happy. So she was more witchy. So almost like what we call glamouring now in the world of True Blood and other other novels, yes. the ability to sort of project an emotion onto somebody in your vicinity. Yes, and tell oh. the future. Yeah. And tell the future. Yeah, hmm. definitely tell right. the future. My cousin told me tons of stories. I mean, she predicted deaths. 
she knew when people had died, you know, hours before anybody told her, stuff like that. Uh-huh. But in my book, so, okay, so now we'll go to the book. So she was just inspiration. Mm-hmm. The book has nothing to do with my great-grandmother. It does take place in France at the same time that she was a little girl there, but, but that's really the only coincidence of that or similarity there. In my book, a young American woman whose name is Sandrine, goes to Paris escaping. It's, 19, it's 1894. She goes to Paris to escape her abusive husband and runs away to her grandmother's house. Um, I guess it's not a coincidence that it's a grandmother's house, but at the time I didn't realize that. I didn't until the second, but anyway. Right. There is a legend in Sandrine's family of a witch named La Lune, who was a 16th century courtesan who also became a painter and became a witch. And that witch has been haunting the, the, the daughter's of the family since the 16th century looking for a host so she can be in love again. Oh, wow. I love oh, that. Indeed, a little romance coming but, in right but there. But possessing somebody to have romance again, I love that notion. And the reason is that she became a witch because her lover at the time betrayed her and she went to a witch to learn how to win his love, love back and got a spell and the spell didn't work and put him into a coma and he eventually died. And so her guilt oh. sends her to the witch to learn how to bring him back from the dead. She can't do it. But she does learn how to become this immortal spirit who, this is really weird, right? This is like not one of my books, but become, become this immortal spirit who's been waiting for a host strong enough so that she can inhabit her and feel true love. Mm. And all the people she's tried to inhabit since, she, since she, her body died, um, she's driven crazy. So Sandrine is the first one strong enough to withstand her. Wow. No, I love the idea of emotional haunting, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. The, the the intensity of love coming back through time and reaching across. That is the spirit of love, the right. longing that she experienced from losing her lover that actually haunts the, the, the daughters in this family. That's brilliant. Um, that's, that's good. Can I use that? You said it better than I said. Absolutely. <laughs> Hire Eric Shaw Quinn to do your marketing. I know I have. Absolutely. I'm fascinated with that idea. Yes, absolutely. You uh, you could use the you can we'll send you the clip from the show if you want. Right. Definitely. Definitely. So the book is set and I'm not going to pronounce this correctly the Belle Epoque era exactly. in France. Did I pronounce that's, it correctly? You did. Exactly. I, want, I want to win stuff when I pronounce stuff correctly on the dinner party show. Uh, yeah, okay. okay so and that, we'll give, give you a prize just as promptly as we give out all the other prizes yeah, I, on the I think I'm only going to get a prize if I actually remember to bring the paper towels I bought for the studio, which I did today <laughs> four days late. But anyway, back to MJ and her book. So this is an era in France that, that uh, intrigues you? This is Moulin Rouge time, right? right? Yes, it's the most fascinating yes. time in Paris. On the one hand... The, you know, the sexuality is rampant with courtesans mm. and nightclubs. And, and the nightclubs in Paris at this point in time are fascinating. They're all themed. So there's one called Hell. There's one called Heaven. The Hell one has devils as waiters and oh. cauldrons that have bands in them. <laughs> and Heaven is all waitresses and, and waiters that serve you with heavenly wings on. There's one... There's one that's all set up like a penitentiary where the waiters have balls and chains and they lock you to your table. I mean, this is like crazy wow. Paris. 
This is and really, this is really Paris. This isn't just oh, your fictional is, no, version of Paris. That's actually, real. oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. That's even there better are, than the movies. Yeah, there are pictures of it um, that I've been putting up on my Facebook page that I've gotten. And at the same time that this crazy stuff is going on, the occult world has gone berserk. There are seances constantly. There's black magic being performed in abandoned churches. There, there's a whole underground occult movement. And at the same time, the um, Ecole des Beaux-Arts doesn't let women take art classes. You know, because, like this because you have crazy. to have standards. Yeah, because it's crazy. And, and the art world has gone nuts. I mean, we have Matisse studying with Gustave Moreau. Right. And Walt is studying with Gustave Moreau. And Impressionism has, is well, well underway. The Symbolist movement is going on. The Nabis movement is going on. They're kind of a cult um, artists. And there are even artists who believe that angels are, are giving them their ideas. It, it's just such a rich, fascinating, complex time in the city. And the courtesans who, you know, wear different, wear different color corsets to mean different things. And there's huh. an hour, there's an hour, it's called Cinque Set, which is five to seven, where every evening husbands go off and see their lovers and wives go off and see their lovers oh wow that's a great idea yeah it is and it's and it's all okay it's, it's what all could okay. possibly go just throw in a little absinthe and what could possibly go wrong oh absinthe don't forget the absinthe oh right is there nothing you can't do absinthe yeah um okay so this is the first book in a trilogy correct a trilogy or more the okay is that these daughters of La Lune, any any child who's been born of this bloodline, yeah, no, I has, love the idea has that. witching ability um, in her, right? And so, um, trying not to be like a certain um, rice novelist witch trilogy, <laughs> um, which has made me very nervous because I read it when it first came out, not since, and God knows how much I stole from it without meaning to. But it is a family, a, a long family of witches, but. Um, they're they're all French, and in each book, a different, a completely different child. It's going to be her story. So the first I one see. is about Sandrine, and the second one, which I'm actually just finishing now, is actually going to be about Sandrine's daughter, 24 years later. That's what I was going to ask you. The 24 yeah. years later thing. I was yeah. going to say, are they all set in the same era in France, or are you going to move around through time along the bloodline? I'm going to move around through time. I'm going to do, um, I'm doing 24 years later. And then the next one is just four years later, a different daughter mm -hmm. who's amazing. And then I'm going to go back to 18. Excellent. Um, yeah. I'm going to go back to pre-Raphaelite London, actually. Wow. This is wonderful. Yeah. I, MJ, yeah. I've known you for years and I've talked to you about a lot of your books and we interviewed you last year on the Dinner Party Show. I don't know if I've ever heard you quite this passionate and excited about one of your own books before. You're, it's never like you're half-assing it, <laughs> but there's really, <laughs> there's something in your voice when you talk about these characters in this era in particular, in this particular book that's inspiring. I, do you feel like this is a departure? for you or something new that's going to go in a new direction? Um, yes, to all of that. It started with the last book, which my publisher actually, my publisher, my editor said, you know, this last book, which you guys interviewed me for called The Collector of Dying Breaths. Yes. Right. They said, it's a little, um, I originally started off writing very erotic fiction and mm -hmm. then I got away from it. And it, it, 
cropped up a little in the collector. And my editor and my publisher said to me, you know, there's more erotica in this book and it's starting to be a little gothic. Is that something that you really care about? So I said, well, yeah, it's kind of the only thing I read anymore is, is kind of gothic and, and you know, the, the stuff that you write, Chris, and, mm-hmm. and historical. That's, that's where my head is. So they said, well, we'd be really interested if you wanted to push the gothic and the erotic in the next book. Mm. And it was like, I don't know, this is crazy after 14, having written 14 novels, but I felt like I finally found my genre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. You know, I've like a great way to do it. Done everything from, you know, like just regular suspense to thrillers to erotic. But this just finally, I got rid of all the present. I've never written a book that's completely in the past before. Yes, because and, previously you were writing a series that was about basically a woman who had the power to remember past lives, correct? She was, she, yes. she was the reincarnationist. Yes. I wrote six books about reincarnation, and they were a combination of the present and the past. Right. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was somebody who's been on your show, Steve Berry, mm-hmm. who was reading one of my books and said to me, in his great southern voice. Now, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. Now, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. (laughs) But I really think you write better when you're just writing in the past. (laughs) And I think you should just stay in the past. I was like, huh. And then I I started thinking about it. I realized that I just feel better in the past. I just, I'm happy there. And so I just have finished the second book, and I'm just loving being back there. You know, maybe I really am reincarnated. Maybe so. Really maybe it is informed by a past life. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe I'm La Lune. Oh, <laughs> and the ghost is writing the book through you to have its story told. Oh, that's in it. I like that oh, story right? idea, too. That's a great idea. We'll give MJ all these ideas. Or maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll keep a few for ourselves. This is wonderful. I'm sure MJ is doing just fine without suggestions from us. Yeah. Well, so MJ, you're also the um, inventor, I'm going to say, and the founder of Author Buzz, which was really the first marketing firm specifically for authors. How is it different publishing a novel now than it was, I'm going to say, eight, ten years ago? Oh, um, God, it's so different. Um, so I started Author Buzz ten years ago, and um, pretty much night and day. I mean, ebooks were nothing. Nobody was reading them. I had, I had done the first ebook that got picked up by New York Publishing in 1999, but ebooks had still not taken off. (laughs) They hadn't taken off because there was no, we always said ebooks would take off when there was an e-reader under a hundred dollars. Yes. And that's what we all waited for. And that's what happened when Amazon came out with the Kindle and it was under, maybe it was 130, but whatever, it was the first reasonably priced one. And then they started taking off. And they've changed everything from, as you know, Chris, I mean, from being able to self-publish a book legitimately without hanging your head in shame mm-hmm. to being able to market within the ebook itself, if you're a smart marketer, to um, people who, who are making great livings not even having print books. Um, at the same time, it's become much, much, much more difficult than it ever has been before to market a book because there's because there are no um, dams anymore. And anybody can do this. Everybody's doing this. And mm-hmm. so there are over 3 million titles a year. And it can be very hard for readers to wade through the 
oceans of books out there to find the ones that are meant for them. And it's very expensive to try to get to them. And there's no central place anymore to talk to a reader. You know, when I was a little girl, everybody was, you found out what books were out from the New York Times book review. Now, almost no one even looks at it anymore. Yeah, I, I find that I'm increasingly looking at newsletters. I've become a BookBub subscriber. Uh, yeah. we're, we're developing a manner where we will be giving recommendations of our own here on The Dinner Party Show, which will debut soon. But I find that's increasingly what's going on, that in the absence of a central journalistic recommendation slash curation source, um, people are looking to individuals in the social media landscape whose tastes they feel they're aligned with, other authors who recommend stuff. Right. Um, you know, your pro project, which I'm a member of, A Thousand and One Dark Nights, is sort of based on that whole principle. If you like Larissa Ione, you might like Liliana Hart. If you like Julie Kenner, you might like Lexi Blake. All this sort of cross-promotion. Right. But you're right. It is very, and, and I think something that's great is that you kind of know where the readers are congregating in places like Goodreads and on Amazon where there are advertising opportunities, all of that. You've been a real pioneer at all of that, and I thank you for that on behalf of all authors. But The Witch of Painted Sorrows came out this week, and we want to focus on that and remind people that it is in the dinnerpartyshow.com. And we also want to remind people that we have a much more extensive conversation with you about the nuts and bolts of, of publishing and how it has changed in our show archive. If you search for MJ Rose in the show archive at the dinnerpartyshow.com, you will come across that as well. MJ, are you going out on the road for this? Are you doing mostly digital marketing? Uh, what, what's what's the release week been like for you? Well, I'm doing an exciting new thing. Um, oh. I like doing new things. Yeah, so, apparently. So uh, <laughs> my PR, we did... Chris is a member of ITW, International Thriller Writers, and we, we did this huge study this year that cost a fortune to try to find out how readers discovered authors who were new to them. And it was an eye-opening study because we discovered how hard it is to get a reader to buy a book by an author who is new to him or her if it's not really cheap, like 99 cents. And one of the things that we discovered and this is funny because it's about what's changed, is that a huge percentage, like 20% of readers in our genre, you know, and I'm using the genre loosely, but it's basically suspense because I'm still basically writing suspense, even right. though it's gothic. 20% um, find out about books through print things like newspapers still, magazine articles, um, through paper, through paper. And I'm huh. like, I don't know, I can't afford to market through paper. I mean, that's the most expensive way to market a book. And my publisher won't spend money on paper. I mean, you, you, you know, you reach a, a hundredth of the people on the same dollar. Mm -hmm. So we came up with this idea. This is very convoluted, but here's the idea. If we could get, if we could do something new, then we could get the press to report on it. And then we'd have paper without having to buy it because right. the newspapers would report on it. So how do you get papers all over to report on something when there's nothing new about me or the book? I mean, it's not like the, an expose of, you know, the first successful <laughs> penis transplant right. performed in South Africa. Right. Um, so what we came up with was to, to go to libraries and to ask libraries who had book clubs if they wanted to do Skype book club chats with me. Mm. Now, each of those things isn't unusual. You know, people do Skypes, book clubs do Skypes, libraries do book clubs, but we put them all together in something that hadn't been done before, which is a Skype book club library tour. So cool. I'm doing about 15 
Library Skype book club talks. Wow. Which should be really interesting. That's really because, smart. Yeah, because the newspapers are reporting on it. So That's every fantastic. city, yeah, it's really, it's great. So every city where there's a Skype book club in the library talk, that city's library is met ta- doing an article about it. I mean, obviously, I'm not doing this in Manhattan or L.A. because they, they wouldn't care. Yeah, they, in, and they often don't care in general about book events. And I found often you have the most passionate and engaged turnout outside of New York and L.A. in areas that feel underserved by cultural events like this. So I think that's wonderful. Where can people get more information about the schedule of this tour? Is it on your website? Um, no, but I have to put it up. <laughs> And if you send it to us, we will do the same so yeah. that people um, who are listening can can avail themselves of that information. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have my. I'm going to a bunch of physical places in New York and Connecticut and Boston and uh, Newburyport and Salem, and I'm I'm doing a an East Coast tour. Great. But I ha- forgot to put up the library Skype things, and I will do that. Tonight. Excellent. <laughs> Good thinking. Well, yeah, we're glad to play a part expert. in your uh, marketing plan here on the yeah, Dinner yeah. Party Show. MJ, we'd keep you here all day if we could, but we're going to let you go promote your fabulous new book now, The Witch of Painted Sorrows. Excellent. We will be back here shortly for more on the Dinner Party Show served up in the dessert. But in the meantime, let us remind you that The Witch of Painted Sorrows is for sale at thedinnerpartyshow.com. And if you buy it through our site, a percentage of your sale will support the show Thank and you. MJ as well. Thanks a right? lot, MJ. Thank you. You guys are my favorite interview anywhere, anytime, ever. (laughs) Oh, you're a darling. Thank you. Come back anytime. Bye. Tired of dining alone? Enjoy the dinner party show with friends. Like us on Facebook and become one of our party people. Then, during our live shows on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, you can join the conversation and post questions for Christopher, Eric, and their guests. During the week, drop in for tasty side dishes, show updates, and fun with the other party people. The Dinner Party Show. You are the life of our party. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and on behalf of everyone here at The Dinner Party Show, I'd like to congratulate my co-host Christopher Rice on the publication of his first full-length erotic romance novel, The Surrender Gate. It's the latest installment in his brand new series, The Desire Exchange, which began with his novella, The Flame, last year. Both books are now on sale at thedinnerpartyshow.com, and if you buy them there, a portion of your sale supports the operation of this show. Congratulations, Christopher, and happy reading, everyone. Sounds like you might want to read this one alone. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, where dessert is the most important meal of the day. Tired of dining alone? <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Jacquet, and dessert is the only meal of my day. Uh-huh. I've been living on birthday cake for and a prayer for about five days. Right after that in, in, in that in, 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 right after that interview with MJ Rose. 
I was going to call it a magenta view. <laughs> a magenta view. Eric Shaw Quinn busted out the cheese it snack mix here on the Dinner Party Show. It's always good to shove a bunch of crackers in your mouth right before you're about to be live I think again. It's really a good thought. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, MJ, for coming on the Dinner Party Show again. We will have her back anytime. I'm being told by Shea Butters. There's a lot of commentary about her on our Facebook page. So go join the conversation about MJ and try her book. Yeah. It's yeah. Available I'm on the website. I can't wait to if read it. If you didn't hear it the 32 times we just got through saying it. So, Eric Shaw Quinn, earlier in the broadcast, we heard from critic at large Jordan Ampersand oh as part God. of his um, he lost science. His spit. It was, it was uh, maybe one of the few times that I happen to agree a little bit with Jordan Ampersand. I'm not really sure what I can do about California's water crisis. Um, what are your thoughts? I, 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 there's very little you don't have thoughts about. So, I thought we'd maybe <laughs> toss this one your way in the well, time I've we had. had time to, have. to think about pretty much everything and all these 172 years of mine. Um, mm hmm. Well, I, you know, I, I think we should all continue to vote Democratic. We, our governor has already announced a plan for dealing with it and is activating the House of Representatives, the Congress, whatever they call it here. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> our representatives, our state representatives are, you know, on the move to try and get things done. But, And I was thinking, I guess it's probably for the best that this is happening because one of the things that's come out mm -hmm. during all of this is that we are the number one agricultural state in the country, which mm -hmm. is kind of insane when you consider that it's kind of a desert state. Mm -hmm. We've manufactured that environment. Right. We've channeled water into the Central Valley in California to 75 create 75% of the region. drinking water that we use in this state is for agricultural purposes. And frankly, I don't think I should have to be competing for my drinking water with a carrot. <laughs> Uh, not only that, but a carrot that's being sold for a profit. Right. Like by it's a business Dole, that you're competing with. By some with. giant agricultural yeah. combine. Like, I certainly am happy that we have a big, thriving agricultural um, industry in the state, but they should, above all, be developing the desalinization process to be watering all of those crops from the giant body of water that is immediately to our left. There is currently a desalinization plant in the San Diego area in Carlsbad, which is under construction, or it was under construction as of May of last year. It may have been completed. There is a one in Santa Barbara that it was uh, decommissioned because when droughts end, and uh, desalinated water has to compete on the water market with other water. It's too expensive to be cost effective, but now they're considering turning that back on. There was a lot of mythology around desalinization in general, that it was bad for the environment, that it was bad for our oceans, and that's not actually been borne out by the desal plants that are in use in other parts of the world, like the Middle East and Yeah, and, and other desalinization is a part of um, Governor Brown's plan. Like, but the, I, it's the, not something he's not going to do. Yes. Also, I think we have to stop artificially creating the... Like the low cost of water. Like we have to charge the full price for water, not just the – several years ago there was a huge drought in the Midwest where the corn crop basically just died in the fields. And I saw the news reports and they were all like, yeah, it didn't rain. And I thought, really? That's it? That's the whole plan? There's no reserve? It's the 21st like century and your only plan for watering your crops was – and then it rained? Yeah. Like that seems unbelievably – Chancy. Yeah. It's as likely as the weather, as they say. But, but it is an interesting thing because you can already, when, at California, we're a big state. We're a very visible state. We have these problems a lot. And then there's a talking point that develops in the rest of the country, like we're all idiots or we brought it on ourselves. Never mind that the power crisis was created by Enron, which was later revealed. With this, 
the idea that, you know, vapid L.A. people are just, you know, letting water go down their faucets and their drains and possibly, you know, well-intentioned San Francisco's San Franciscans are doing the same isn't really true because we're not the majority of, of the water usage in the state. 75% of the water usage in, is agricultural. And I'm it's not business. vilifying them, but it's no, a business. No, but they're a business with the capability to develop a plan for and how to deal with And they ought to this. be paying fair yeah. market value for what is actually like liquid gold, as they've been calling it on the news lately. And I think you said, too, that the part of the plan for watering a lot of the fields is just to, like, release large amounts of water from subterranean oh, yeah. pipes as opposed to sort of precision sprinklers or anything. It's or, like nobody's thought this through. Whether, yeah, it's they've been it's like our oil crisis in this country. Everything is informed by cheap oil and this is everything being informed by cheap water. I think we ought to charge what oil actually costs. I think that every gallon of gas ought to include the price of all of the military forces in the Middle East mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. are there to keep the pipeline open and secure. Okay. Anyway. Well, Jeffrey Brasher on our, on our page says that we must respect Jordan's opinion or we will be slapped. It's not clear whether Jeffrey will slap us or Jordan will slap us. As long us. as we don't have to be on that show about slapping. And Sharon Haas would like to know if based on your birthday gift to me last week, which I believe was the chocolate penis mold, the make your own mold of your own penis You, you don't chocolate. remember what I gave you last I, week? I'm not. I'm getting ready Memories to use the first thing to go, they say. The fr- and the lower back, too, apparently. Uh, <laughs> she would like to know if I'm offering candy bars this week. No, Sharon, I am not. I am not. Maybe next week when I get around to actually You could do it for thing. Easter and wrap them in gold foil. That would be a great family that gift. Would be to such... celebrate Beauty's right? Kingdom by absolutely, my mother. Absolutely. Chocolate molds of her son's penis. Well, as I like to say, if we were on a network, we would have been thrown off the air tonight, probably. <laughs> Fortunately, we are on our own network. Fortunately, we are on our own website, and nobody can do a fucking thing. That ought to keep the little jackasses happy. <laughs> I hope that made everybody else happy for a week. Thanks again for joining us. We'll be back next week with our good friend, filmmaker Adam Robitel discussing his horror movie, The Taking of Deborah Logan. So scary. Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to The Dinner Party Show. Thanks. I've been to a marvelous party.